0: Hello, 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 and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pixelated Sausage Podcast for the week of Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. I'm your host, Mark Kirchnez, and today I've got a few games to talk about, including Roki, Moonglow Bay, Bloody Rally Show, Lucid Cycle, and Cyanide and Happiness, Freak Apocalypse <laughs> Episode 1. Freak Apocalypse. That that threw me off. I wanted to call it Freak Apocalypse, but there's no A there, and I copy and pasted that, so I didn't screw that up. It is just Freak Apocalypse, without the A. Why couldn't they just put the A in there? Freak Apocalypse. I think that would be a better name, or is that trademark? I don't know. Also, Apex Legends new season, new map, Storm Point. Probably talk about that a bit as well. But let us just jump right into it with Roki. So Roki is a point-and-click adventure. I played on Xbox, but it is a point-and-click adventure game where you play as a young girl and her little brother who are being chased by monsters after your mother, who is already dead. Uh, Now your father dies because he's a very deep sleeper when a monster attacks your house. And even though things are getting destroyed left and right, the father just... Sleeps there. It's all cool until the ceiling falls on top of him. And then he just wakes up and is like, go go take your brother away while a raging fire is engulfing the house. It is a very, very, very beautiful game. I love, love, love the art. It is what first drew me to the game and made me want to check it out. I saw screenshots of it and I thought, damn, this is a good looking game. I want to play it. And when I played it, I grew frustrated. Frustrated because of things that are just inherent to the point-and-click adventure genre. It would seem like puzzles that don't make sense and with a controller specifically, finicky controls that are a little bit cumbersome. So the way it works on a controller is that In order to interact with an object, say you have a stuffed animal in your inventory and you want to give it to your brother in order to make him happy. He's crying. He wants his stuffed bunny, whatever. You press and hold the A button or whatever it is on the object and then you drag it to the object you want it to interact with, the character, etc. That's fine. But where it gets a little finicky is that if you go towards multiple objects, or things you can interact with in the environment, instead of having a button like the bumpers allow you to switch between those within your vicinity, you just sort of have to interact with everything until you get to the thing you want to interact with. It does at least seem to with things that aren't important. Once you interact with it once, you just can't interact with it again because that would be a big problem if you had to keep moving around until you found the right bit of geometry, the right polygonal space, whatever, to allow you to interact with a very specific object. But just the fact that you can go into a corner that has three things you can interact with, something on the wall, a dresser drawer, or maybe the dresser has two, three dresser drawers that you can interact with. You just have to go through the cycle of one after another after another until you get to the one that actually have the stuff that you need in it for solving the next puzzle or whatever. But ignoring that, which is just kind of inherent to controller usage in a point click adventure, though, like I said, just map it to the, the bumpers or whatever. But I didn't run into too many situations where there were multiple interactable objects in the same exact space so that wasn't really a problem my problem more so lies in one the story it just didn't grab me i i wasn't caring about these people and i found some of the the ways in which they were pushing the story in the direction they wanted to go were kind of dumb like why is the father why is he just sleeping through all this I I, I guess it's because he's he's an alcoholic, I I would assume, because his wife died, his significant other died, and his wife and his significant other are the same person. I just want to make sure that's clear that he didn't have a wife and a significant other. But his wife died, and when he's sleeping on his little wooden rocking chair, or whatever it is, next to the fireplace, which you have to keep lit so that he doesn't get cold and all that jazz, he does have a bottle of alcohol next to him with three X's, so you know it's the it's the hard stuff, that's some heavy liquor right there. So he's probably just in a drunken sleep, an alcohol induced sleep, that has got him very knocked up, nickered up. I don't know the terms, but uh, he's probably you know just so drunk that nothing will wake him, and that's why he's that way which, you know, is a little bit dark. A little bit dark. But I still found it just annoying as a a means to push the story forward and put these kids on this seemingly sad adventure chase uh, as this giant black monster is chasing them. To have the father die in such a dumb way where it's because he's literally incapable of waking up no matter what's going on around him, and when a few pieces of the ceiling fall on top of him, instead of you trying to help, instead of him mustering any energy at all to try and get it off him himself, he just kind of accepts that, eh, I'm going to die. He probably wants to die too, to be with his wife in the afterlife. That's probably going through his head. But you don't really get any of that. You just get a father who seems to not give a shit about his kids or his own life. And it's just like, okay, cool. This is just so that they'll have nothing to come back to. Great. But my real problem is that it has the stupid things of point and click adventures that I just don't like. Which is puzzles that don't make sense. That ask you to do something and then are convenient in this way or that way. For instance... When you are being chased by the monster, or the monster is destroying your house, you find shelter in the basement, but you need to get out. And there is a sled attached to the ceiling. It's hanging from the ceiling. You try to reach it by yourself without using any kind of tool or anything, but it's out of reach. However, when you try to reach for it, you don't go up on your tippy-toes, and you don't even raise your arm all the way to try and get it. You just kind of like... Half lift your arm. And it's like, oh, God, I can't do this. So I found that funny that the the sister who you control doesn't really try that hard. And she could have also probably picked up her little brother and raised him, put him on her shoulder, something along those lines. But again, point and click adventure, you need to throw logic out the window in order to solve puzzles. That's the way many of them work which is something that I've always had a problem with in a lot of them, as I've reiterated however many times already. My problem with this puzzle is that the way you get the sled down is by getting the monster to smash the ground, the the ground of the first floor, which is the ceiling of the basement, where the sled is so the sled will fall to the ground. And how you do this is by flashing light in the direction of the sled. You flash light on the sled. You first have to get batteries for your flashlight, which is also annoying in getting those. But the thing is, learning that the monster will be attracted to light, you turn on a lamp on the other section of the basement, and the the monster just smashes their big hand right through the ground all the way to the ground of the basement and destroys the lamp, I'm pretty sure. And you're like, okay, it's attracted to light. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now? And obviously, when you're trying to get this flashlight working, it's clear what you're going to have to do. And my problem is, when you flash the light on the sled, instead of, smashing with all their force through that section of the the floor the monster just smashes their hand through it enough to destroy that floor that ceiling allowing the shed or the sled to fall to the ground but doesn't destroy the sled when in actuality what would have happened was that monster would have just smashed it all the way to the ground until it felt a, a a surface it couldn't smash through and would have smashed the sled at the same time. There are also boxes that they could have just dragged to get higher up. Like, I just don't like the logic required for many point-click adventure games. And this one really turned me off immediately, which is a bummer because, again, I like the look of it. And if the story drew me in more, if I didn't think... Some aspects of it were stupid, and some of the puzzles like having to shoo these birds away so that the the boy would go to the back. Like, if there was some hook outside of just the art, I'd be fine dealing with it. But all the game has going for it, for me, are the visuals. I, I think it looks fantastic, but I just don't care about the story. I don't care about these characters and I'm not a fan of the puzzles I've experienced up until the point where I decided I'm just not feeling it. But again, that is Roki, R O K I, and it's R O with two dots above the O. So if you were supposed to pronounce that Roki, Roki, I don't know. I don't know how any of those accented vowels are meant to be pronounced in actuality. But then Moonglow Bay, I'll get to in a, a second. I'll, I'll just go over the last or the other point click adventure game, which is cyanide and happiness freak apocalypse episode one. This is based off a comic strip. I believe I think it's online only a digital only comic strip, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure I've heard of it. I've seen this art in places before. And the thing about this one is the puzzles, very, very simple and the humor incredibly dumb lowbrow. This is stupid as stupid gets. I enjoy some of the alliteration in the writing and some of the rhyming, but a lot of the humor is very, very dumb. And I think this really is mainly for those who are already Fans of the source material. But even then. I, I I don't know what the source material is like. So I can't compare this to that. But. The puzzles are all. So incredibly basic. And they're. So often. In, in ways where you just. You, you can't do anything else. You literally are only given like. Here is this thing. And this thing to interact with. Just fucking put them together and you're good. It it follows the same kind of dragging objects to other objects control scheme. But I just could not care about this this world and this humor. The humor is not doing anything for me and that's that's the ultimate thing of this game. It is it is all about the writing and the humor. And if it works for you, you'll probably have a good time and it's relatively short runtime. But if it's not, it's going to it's going to drag it's going to just feel like you're going through quicksand, uh, which, you know, will make you actually walk slower because you're quickly sinking to your demise. And I also have an issue with the audio, which is that the the cutscene audio is significantly louder than the in-game audio. So if you raise the in-game audio so that it is to your liking, if you don't lower the volume when a cutscene happens, or forget, or whatever, you're going to be hit with some loud-ass audio. And on that front, the voice acting is very, very good, which is to be expected. I want to say it's to be expected, but then again, I don't know if there's actually, like, a TV series version of this as well, if it's just a comic strip. So I don't know if these voices are already something that are well in the mindset of people who like i don't know but the voice acting is pretty good The voice acting is pretty good so it's got that going forward it really just comes down to do you like really really stupid lowbrow kind of gross humor then you know maybe worth checking out maybe just wait for a sale though because it is twenty dollars and it's roughly like four hours or so which isn't you know an hour for five bucks not bad i don't think that's bad but if you don't already know you're going to like the, the humor and all that, I'd say 20 bucks is a bit steep to risk potentially not liking it. But getting back to Moonglow Bay. So this is a fishing game at its core. You play, well, in my case, I played an old, gentle person. You do get to pick your pronoun. And they do have non-binary pronouns, which I do appreciate whenever a game allows this. I think I was told that Forza Horizon 5 is going to have this too, which is very nice. But you have four characters to pick from at the very beginning. And they have the appearance of an older gentleman and gentlewoman and a young lad and lass. And I went with the older gentle one, as I said. And then of course you get to pick your partner. And I was like, how, how, how is it when they say partner, are they going to consider the age of the, the person I pick? So I went with the older lady for my partner and you have your little fishing thing at the very beginning during the tutorial phase or whatever. I mean, no, the tutorial phase is after this, but you have your little bit of story. And then it's like three years later, your partner has passed away and they left you this fishing journal and la-di-da-di-da. They've left all this stuff so that you can continue the fishing life and selling fish and blah, 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 blah. And it's all just very sweet and simple and relaxing and pleasant. It's got voxel art, which is okay. I'm not overly fond of voxel art in general and this one is uh, it's okay it's not like I forget what game it was a week or two ago that I was talking about that I was really impressed by the voxel art but this is okay I feel like the voxels are just maybe a little bit too chunky I like it when they go real tiny with their voxels but the art is okay it's got a crossy rose or whatever that game is called vibe to it visually and what you're doing is fishing and collecting your fish, which you then can cook. And there are a bunch of little button prompt mini games when cooking, like rotating a thing to align with whatever to boil this or that, pressing buttons at the right time, etc. Very simple, basic stuff. And then you put all your food initially in like a bin in your front on the honor system people take stuff, they leave money, leave shells in this case, that's the currency. And there's also an aquarium where you can donate fish to make it better and increase the tourism to your town, which will then increase the amount of money you make from selling your fish. And of course there is the fishing. And you have a boat that you can take it on the water. The problem and why I fell off the game quickly and will not be coming back to it anytime soon is that I mean, there are other problems outside of this, but performance-wise, I'm playing on Xbox. It's not up to snuff. There was a lot of noticeable judder, and I streamed the game, and people watching could see the judder as well and commented on it. And it's not bad to the point that it was headache-inducing for me, like other instances of the juddering and stuff like that have been. But it is noticeable enough to be incredibly distracting and unpleasant to continue playing. But then at the same time, the gameplay is, at least early on, incredibly boring and way too simple and way too easy. One, navigating the the little world you're in is a bit frustrating because there were seemingly, when I was going around, just a lot of dead ends. So I, I was just trying to get somewhere following it on the mini map but then i would reach a dead end and be like okay well i guess i have to find a different path there a little bit frustrating but the big problem is that it's efficient game really right i don't know why i said really i meant right it's efficient game and at least early on it's far 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 too simple Because there is this strike mechanic, I believe it's called the strike mechanic, which allows you to reel in really strongly. You can only do this a limited number of times because it depletes your stamina and you don't have the stamina to just continuously reel in and pull in real hard on fish. But you use this against fast-moving fish or strong fish that you you need that extra oomph for. But you need to be strategic with it because you're going to run out of stamina if you do too often. However, at least early on, all the fish are so easy to deal with that no matter whether using the strike mechanic is recommended for this type of fish, if they are a slow, fast fish, a big and powerful fish, somewhere in between, something that has everything, it's got speed, power, size, etc two good strikes and you've reeled in the fish. And two strikes is nothing or, or, or nowhere near enough to deplete your stamina. So once the strike mechanic was introduced, fishing became an absolute bore because I just kept reeling in fish in like a second or two. And I was like, okay. I could just keep doing this, but it's not fun, even as far as simple fishing games goes. So the way fishing works, if you ignore that and don't use it, is like Animal Crossing. But instead of seeing the fish nibble at it, the, like their, their, their silhouettes and everything in the water, you don't see their silhouette until you've hooked them. So you just throw your line in. You don't see any silhouettes of fish swimming around, so you can't try and throw your line in a specific direction to get, say, a bigger silhouette because you want that bigger fish. You just throw your line in, and whatever starts nibbling at it, and whatever you hook in, that's the fish you're going after because you you don't have any other option. So you throw it in. It'll bob a little bit, and when it goes fully under, you press the right trigger to hook it in, and then you just do the, you know, it's it's moving to the right, so you push in the opposite direction with your analog stick, etc. You know, very, very basic fishing. And that's, that. I mean, that's it. You then cook your meals, you have some little missions, you're, you know, getting your shit back and all this jazz. It just, it needs a patch, a performance patch, and when that happens, I would love to go back to it, even with its simplicity. Because I think it should at least get more complex as time goes on. The fishing should become a bit more challenging when you're going after the bigger and better fish, when you have more bait that allows you to go after the better fish. Because you're very limited early on. And I'm sure once you get used to the map and are in it enough, it won't be a problem navigating it because you'll know where you need to go. But early on, it's just, you know, a bit frustrating in ways and disappointingly easy in ways. And I just can't continue with it currently while it is in its current buggy state. Hopefully they do patch it. Hopefully this is an issue that's on the radar because the judder is noticeable, it is distracting, and I I am frustrated by that aspect of it. Cause I would like to just have a nice little relaxing game to play. Even if it is too simple. There 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 is a way a game could be too simple in Moon Bay... At least early on, it's too simple. But it has a bit of those Animal Crossing vibes. You you have your aquarium as opposed to a museum. You got the fishing. It's not as elaborate. You can't really decorate your house or anything like that. And there's that bit of narrative to it. Losing your significant other and bringing back the the, the business to revitalize the town and in her memory and all that. So, there's potential there. It just needs to iron out the performance kinks, at least. And then I'd be able to see what the potential really is like. Then, Bloody Rally Show is a Micro Machines-esque racer. So, top-down, little cars, relatively loose controls, and with bloody action. So, you can run into uh, spectators... And I would assume the press and whatnot who were there, who were on the sidelines. I couldn't tell if doing that was adding to my boost meter or not. But I played a bit of it, and it's, it's fine. It's fine. I was surprised by how not terrible it was. Not to say I went into it expecting it to be terrible, but... I find that a lot of games like this, micro machine S games that have that camera perspective, they tend to have really loose controls that can be frustrating or they just have like I think it's really hard to get controls in this type of racer right. There are so many ways that can go wrong whether it's too loose, too this, too that and Bloody Rally Show gets the most important thing right and that is that is the controls. I think it controls pretty damn well for a game like this. It took me a race or a race and a half to get accustomed to because I haven't played a game like this in a while. But after that, I started winning races. The the races are also fun in that there is a lot of mayhem and havoc going on and the AI seems to be very organic in how they are racing. Some will be freaking incredibly wild and crazy. Some will... I I felt like I was actually playing against... I don't know if I want to go that far. say I was playing against other people, but I didn't feel like I was just playing against AI that has a set path that is just doing the same old, same old every time. The races felt organic and never the same and exciting because of that and I think that is really the key of Bloody Rally Show and why I think it's a pretty solid racer of its ilk the The AI just made every race interesting and sometimes they became frustrating because they would freaking just grief the shit out of me or do stupid things that got my way and, and would ruin a race or this or that where I was in first and then One car just comes speeding out like crazy, doesn't slow down for a turn, and just smashes me in the side, or hits me in the back, or whatever. And that would be annoying, that would be frustrating, but that would also just be, you know, the way it goes sometimes, as it does with and playing with regular people. I believe in the Player One Podcast Discord, they have their little racing league, and I think that would be called (laughs) Gokuing. But, uh, yeah, I think Bloody Rally Show is a, a solid little racer. And worth checking out if you're into those types of races. Micro machines asking and all that jazz. Then the last game to talk about, I guess there's also Apex Legends. Oh, God. Lucid Cycle is a game all about dreams. And you are going through like two dozen dreams over the course of this game. And I appreciate the variety and how crazy some of these dreams are. Some of the shit doesn't make any goddamn sense. I don't know why there's this black woman in all of them. I don't think it's you, but at one point she just starts dancing, and she's got she's got moves. But I don't know why she's there. When you first see her in like the woods of the first dream, she's just dabbing. Don't know what that's going on. Then there's another thing where you have a a, a white dude, an Asian lady, and they're in an office room, and you just take hats around the office and put them on them and then you finish that dream. There's a thing where you're walking across a giant white man's arms, rotating him by shooting balls at his face to rotate the various giant versions of him to cross the bridge and get past the thing. You're in a city, and you're shooting balls at giant blocks that shatter into pieces until you shatter all of them. That completes that dream. There's a lot of weird shit going on in this game. And after two or three dreams, you wake back up in your apartment, you go talk to this cube that asks you what you dreamed about and you get to pick one of the ones that you experienced and she will comment on what that means and as you keep going, she'll start to get more aware of the situation or whatever and it's, it's an interesting game. It's also cheap. I think it's like $6 or something and worth experience i'd say there are dreams that are frustrating to control that are annoying in their design and longer than other ones there are ones that are just really really tedious where you just go around environment like the one where you're shooting the blocks that can take a while but that one was kind of peaceful at whereas this other one we're in like a medieval environment and you're just clicking on red brains that explode when you touch them that was a little bit tedious that one a bit longer than I would like the bridge one was annoying because if you fall off you have to go back to the beginning and start all over and reset all the bridge like there are parts of the game that can be frustrating but I'm glad I experienced it I also think something like this with a bigger team because this is maybe made by mostly one person but with a bigger budget a bigger team this conceptually could be really 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 cool and it makes me think of what remains of Edith Finch or whatever, which I didn't play, and I think that's the name of it. But I really want to play that now, having played this, because I feel like that's somewhat similar, and that has the various stories for the, the various family members. But I I think Lucid Cycle is a weird game. It's a janky game at times. When you interact with the painting, because you're creating a painting every day too, the button prompt on the screen is a white X. So it's a white circle with a white X in there with minimal drop shadowing to show you that it's there. And the canvas is, of course, white, and you're painting all around the middle, and the button prompt is always in the middle. So the whole time you can't actually see the button prompt that well unless you're paying attention. that's just weird. It almost seems by design, which if that is even weirder, but I'm glad I played Lucid Cycle and I did get a code for it, but if I didn't and I heard about it or if I didn't get a code for it and I just blind bought it for the six, seven dollars, whatever it is, it's less than 10. I know that. I would have not been upset with unpurchased. You'll get easy achievement points, easy trophies, and You'll have an experience you probably won't soon forget. This is definitely going to be one of the games I remember from 2021 because of how wild and ridiculous it could get. And the the black woman just dabbing and then dancing, I'm like, what the hell is not like there were so many what the fuck moments in this game where I'm just like, What what is even happening here? What is this? And uh in those cases they were all good what the fuck moments where it's just kinda like this is weird. Uh, you know, I, I got frustrated times again, but overall, I had a—I don't even know if I want to say I had a good—I had a good time with it, but I had a time with it. But uh, yeah, then Apex Legends season eleven just came out with a brand new map, Storm Point, that has wildlife in it that you can kill that'll increase your shields a little bit, twenty-five percent. They also drop loot, and they're, they're all in specified locations on the map that you can see, so you'll never run into them surprisingly or whatever you won't be surprised by them and it's introduced a new character ash which doesn't seem to drive with my or drive with my play style she looks pretty cool we have a new smg the car which is all right it's just all right it just seems like a a good gun to pick up and not have to worry as much about attachments and ammo because it can use light and heavy attachments and light and heavy ammo which is nice. Um, and then the map itself, I love the look of it. It has a lot of interesting geometry and ways in which the the world itself can play into Firefights a lot, and I like that. My issue with it currently is that I think it's too big. I think it is too big for 60 players. In my three hours or so with it, there was so much downtime, so many instances where I would be with my team and we wouldn't run into anyone for the entire match until there were only three teams and the the circle was so small. There's just a lot of quiet time, a lot of downtime, a lot of boring bits. And I don't know if that'll change as people grow more used to the match. there's There's also just that initial phase of Learning the map, learning where loot spots are, and all this jazz. Where there are times where we'll drop, and it's like, where the why? Why do we drop here? Where is there even loot? And when we see other teams dropping, we're like, do they know where the loot is? Because I don't even like. So there's that learning phase that we'll have to get over, and then maybe after a week or so, the metal will will change, and people will be running into each other. Like it's just, I think, a bit of a rocky start. The map looks great. I like a lot about it. I just. I'm not sure about the size. But yeah. It's Apex Legends. I still very much. Still like Apex Legends. But man. my I could not aim for shit. The first night of the, the. The new map. But you know. Sometimes that's how it goes. I do already have three wins. I have three wins in 21 games. So that's. That's all right. Anywho. That will do it. For this episode of. The Pixelated Sausage Podcast. Once again, I am Markishness. Y'all can find me on Twitter and pretty much everywhere at PX Sausage. If you'd like to see me playing games like Apex Legends and more, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash PX Sausage. If you'd like to check out the videos I make, you can do that at p-youtube.com slash Pixelated Sausage. Speaking of Pixelated Sausage, that's my site. Put a little dot and a comment after that, and you've got it. And you go there. And you can listen to this here podcast as well as Attack the Backlog, both of which are available on podcast services across the globe. You can also check out my art on the site. And if you see something you like, you can purchase a print of the piece you fancy. And if you fancy the site in general and anything that we do, please go over to patreon.com slash pxs and support us that way. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this here episode and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Bye, bye, and the rest of your week too, bye!